0: Hey, what's up? It's Nicole Brewster, also known as Coco. Thank you for tapping into the Elevate Him podcast, where we have tons of topics on how to support our men. Um, All right, everybody. Thank you for tapping into the Elevate Him podcast show. I am Nicole, and tonight I have a dear friend with me, Jillian Henderson. Um, We go way, way back, actually, like junior high, high school, so we definitely have some history, Um, and I wanted to have her on. She is so... um, much involved in the mental health field. She is a mother of three boys. She is just a, a super inspiration and I just love her to pieces. And I'm just glad that she's here to share with us tonight um, just some dimensions of what's going on in mental health. And she's in Montana, so this is why we're doing the Zoom, but I'm so glad to see you and thanks for coming on. So if you want to share a little bit about you, um, we'll tap into the, um, the conversation. Great.
1: Well, first, thank you for having me. It's so great to see you, even if it's a world. I know. World. Um, we, we do. We go way, way back. Um, so it's really nice to see your face yeah. tonight. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah, I, I am a licensed clinical social worker um, in, the, in the field of mental health every mm-hmm. day. I also uh, am a licensed addiction counselor. And then I also hold um, a mental health professional counseling credential um, in the state of Montana. It's very specific mm-hmm. to our state. But currently, um, I work for Western Montana Mental Health Center, which is the uh, largest um, agency that provides community mental health uh, to people in northwestern Montana. Mm. And so my my role there now is a clinical supervisor. but I have worked in this field, as you know, since, Mm I don't
0: know, 2009. I remember when you were going through all, like, your courses and just how you were managing at that time, just so focused and so... Involved like this was definitely your passion and, and definitely the field that you wanted to go into. So to see you go over all these hurdles to get there and all these degrees, I mean, you nailed it. So super proud of you because that's a, that's a big role, um, especially with mental health as we know. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, stigmas like we've shared a lot of um, we would say maybe addiction, depression, anxiety, all these things, and and it feels like sometimes um people get not diagnosed, they get kind of misdiagnosed. Um, And so as you start to see the the community falling apart in areas, it's almost like the blame game. And and so when you have spoke with obviously clients before you got into your current position, what did that kind of look like? I mean, I know everybody's different, but for mental health, from your standpoint, what did, what did that look like?
1: In regards to working
0: directly with with the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, when we, when we think about, um, you know, gender and the norms that surround gender specifically, and then the idea when we think about, you know, a therapist or counseling, mm. you know, we, we naturally think that women are the predominant gender to seek that out um, specifically. But we also know that mental health is not uh, biased.
0: Right. No one's exempt. <laughs> You're right.
1: It, you know, is um, um, a disease of our mind. And it, and it can and it can be um, something that can be assisted with, with treatment and medication. Mm-hmm. And we also look at it as um, a recovery standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, know that men are less likely to seek out um, services mm-hmm. um, when needing support. And I think it really goes back to just that, you know, stigma right, around mental health in general, um, you know, men are just as likely to suffer from a mental health issue as women, but they're often not um, reported mm. or treated right. Uh, properly, right? And so, um, you know, men are also subject to many societal expectations, um, ones that encourage them to be self-sufficient mm. and avoid asking for help. Yeah. Um even when
0: they really, really need it, and oftentimes, like we know, oh, it, it might be too late. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you know, when I looked at, you know, how I wanted to really reform, um, elevate him, and how I wanted to bring that up, is it wasn't just about oh, I'm going to make them look good in a suit. There was, there was that was just kind of the fun piece of, you know, the whole idea. But to really get them involved with themselves. To really get them to see themselves in a different view, not only on the physical side, but to encourage and empower to take special care, to, you know, recognize different things that they're going through, um, asking for help, um, getting those resources. Now, do you feel like um, so let me let me ask this question, maybe when you're looking at a client who is male, uh, do you really? Do do you feel like they know what they need? Because sometimes they don't know maybe what it is. Maybe they can't explain it. Um, Maybe they just don't have an idea that they need help, and so they've ignored things. So what would that kind of look like? I mean, treating somebody and and them not knowing what they need. Can you get that from your client? Absolutely. You
1: know, it it really depends on what the motivation to access services is. Uh, you know, a lot of the times, unfortunately, with males, it's an external motivator. You know, sometimes it's because they're incarcerated, they've got in trouble with the law, their uh, naggy wife is is saying, you need help, I want you to see help, yeah. or maybe even a family member or mm-hmm. friend. And so a lot of the times it just depends on that external or internal motivation for for accessing, you know, support from, from a mental health professional. hmm but once you know men are able to access that service, um, you know most of the time we are able to gather the information that we need in the interview to better determine, you know, clinically what um, you know diagnosis there might be. Mm-hmm. And, and
0: maybe maybe not. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Know?
1: And so we want to be very careful in that interview and that assessment to. Um, work with them and support them with whoever their supports are to gain collateral, to understand more about their whole life Mm -hmm. um, from a perspective and not just that moment um, in time. And that's where, you know, the the experience from a a good therapist or counselor comes in because, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing due diligence and really accurately getting the best picture we can to then make the
0: diagnosis that we can to to support the treatment mm-hmm. that we're going to recommend, right? Yeah, and then just kind of assisting through that journey, right? Because it's not like a one and done. It's it's a real consistent thing that needs to play out. Um, you know, one thing that we can joke about in the men's world is sometimes they're not honest, and sometimes um, they're not they don't commit. And this is not just relationship issues, this is self issues as well. Um, they might go to a couple meetings and think, oh, I'm good, I'm cured, I'm, I'm ready. But there's so much deep rooted things and traumas and and things that it. we have to be mindful that these things take time and meeting people where they are. Um, there's not a quick fix. I think reminding men that this is a process, you're going to go through a very uncomfortable place, but give it time and stay with it. Stay with your therapy. Um, when I was doing a seminar for the, uh, suicide prevention and men group, um, I classified myself as non-therapeutic and what that looked like is, you know, people can go see a, a counselor or a therapist and get like that doctor and that medication and, and that analysis. Um, But for me, it was like putting guys in a position um, of casualty, of, you know, uh, non-invasive, that it really, I I cannot tell you that when I'm suiting somebody, you would think she's just going to suit them, give them some stuff to go, and they're on their way. I've been in suiting, you know, appointments with my clients, and it turns out to like two, three hours because they're crying, or there's something that they want to share, or all of a sudden, I didn't know anything really about them until we've discovered an hour into a conversation of molestation, abuse, or traumas. And so putting them in a very casual atmosphere has really allowed people to open up. So do you feel like non-therapeutic can be just as beneficial to legitimate therapy? Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: come on. Getting anybody to talk about their their deep problems or things that might be were real pervasive with stress in their life is is actually therapeutic, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I do it as a debrief and a process with with staff all the time. But in a client situation, you know, the the real difference is that processing, you mm-hmm. know, a treatment where you know we use evidence, evidence-based practices and approaches t- to basically go through a treatment format. Um, Establishing a treatment plan and goals that we're going to work on. And I think, you know, knowing you,
0: Nicole, specifically,
1: Mm. too, and the history we have, you have that just like natural ability to be empathetic Mm. um, with people and show that natural, you know, empathy and and good listening skills that I'm sure that you're able to gain information and insight from people. And they naturally want to open up to you. Mm -hmm. And I think in those moments of, you know, humbleness and um you know sometimes even sadness um that you're sitting with it it is a great moment to say you know hey i know of this resource that might be helpful for
0: you Mm -hmm. and here here's this contact information and you know if you need me
1: to help you follow up or to do what we need to do to get you there let me help you but those those moments you might you know continue to encounter as you go on and You're able to support these men
0: as Mm -hmm. you are. Yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of funny that you say that because, you know, back in high school, um, you know, as we're doing like our senior projects and we want to discover what we want to be when we grow up, um, I always wanted to get into counseling. I always wanted to be like a high school counselor or really mentor uh, because I always had the compassion and the love and just the ability to just. You know, I'm non-judgmental. I think that is a real gift, um, because we do live in this kind of crazy world of we're always judged. I mean, even appearance, um, we make fun of each other. There's things that are said. I mean, there's bullying on social media over just posts, things that people are sharing, somebody else is somebody else's jabbing at. So that we know that, you know, it's messy. And so I always had. A desire to do that. Unfortunately, life took me other places. And so it's kind of neat to see how I full circled back into a real passion of mine. Um, and, and really creating this space because I recognized with you've met my brother. And um, his char- charismatic just attitude and just his smile and just his energy was just so fun to be around. And when this all happened, it was like, Why, Right. We all, we all have these questions. Why? And it didn't make sense. So I knew that there was something deep rooted in myself that I had to find an answer. And, and once I kind of started to see things come to light, I was like, okay, this is where I need to be. And it is natural for people to, to share and to talk. But, um, when you're an empath, you do take on that energy sometimes. And I learned that with my support group when I was leading a support group. So how do you counsel counselors when you're in your position now where you're seeing the people who are seeing the clients and you're making sure they're mental straight? Because when I was leading and facilitating a suicide bereavement support group, it was hard because you're hearing these stories. It's hard not to get attached to your people. You all have some type of community or relation. And I would go home and cry and cry and cry over other people's story, let alone my own. And I remember the first time where I didn't cry and I thought there was something wrong with me. So, um, but I just realized that's part of the process of healing. So in your position and you now being with, overlooking your supervisors doing the clinicals, um, how does that work? I mean, who counsels them?
1: Sure, yeah, great question. You know, I do work for an agency that really believes in taking care of our, our mental health. You know, I always say it's kind of cheesy, but mental health is just as important as physical health. Yeah, you know? it is. And so I really preach that. And we, we do, as an agency, offer quite a few paid days off per year to help support with that outside of our paid time off. But I, I definitely do a lot of debriefing. Um, we have five... Um, uh, voluntary crisis homes throughout the state that we that I oversee, and those are a step down from an ER. Visit. Mm. So really, if clients aren't wanting to go to that medical ER field to get that um, mental health support, they can come stay at the crisis house for up to five to seven days. Okay,
0: and so it's
1: twenty-four hour care. Um, it's very intensive, but that's where we see a lot of our suicidal um, ideation clients, homicidal ideation. Um, and, and that's where we get the more intense need, uh, for staff to debrief outside Mm -hmm. of our outpatient type of programming. Um, and we just allow space, you know, if we take time, um, you know, I meet with them weekly, the program leads to Mm -hmm. talk about certain client cases and difficult scenarios. Um, but just giving space is important and, and listening and then offering feedback and support when, when it's needed, but, Um, I mean, really, we we as, you know, uh, mental health professionals really have to to check in with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. We're taking care of ourselves because we work with the most vulnerable population, you know, with severe and persistent mental illness every day. And that can get very, very uh, overwhelming.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. you, You could see yourself taking that home only because it's emotion. I mean, I mean, if you're somebody who obviously you wouldn't be in this field if, if this was just a great job as far as pay, when you get into these fields, and I strongly believe anybody who is in counseling, any type of social service, you know, nonprofits, anything like that, that generate um, community and people, you do it with compassion. And it's really hard sometimes, because we take that emotion, we, we, we feel for them. And so you're right, I think being able to recognize when you have a staff kind of feeling some certain way or maybe they're off because they've just taken on a lot, that's like a superhero type, you know, thing. We gotta find a way to really allow them to decompress um, because it's really important, you know, especially in the field that you're in, you're no good to anybody if you're not good right and so to be able to be present
1: i can give you a better example so you know you know my history and my story but i'll share a little bit tonight with everyone you know um i in in, um uh 2019 um i experienced you know my my father taking his own life um and was very traumatic for me as as any
0: you know mm-hmm, suicide absolutely for anybody
1: that um, has had that experience that close to them um, and you know for me that was a, a pivotal turning point in my career I was working in direct practice I was working at a high school and then I was also doing chemical dependency evaluations mm-hmm. um, with clients that are needing to action, access addiction based mm-hmm. services as well so I was doing both at the same time, and I really had to check myself. I really had to check myself uh, because I was not doing good after my, my
0: death. Absolutely, step.
1: and I was faced with depression, and anxiety, um, all you know, psychosis, addiction, all these things that these clients were bringing to me every day, and I just wasn't able to be me and to be the therapist that i knew that i needed to be Mm -hmm. to be present for my clients and so that was really a take charge moment for me in my life to say um i need to pull up my big girl pants and take a step back from this and reevaluate whether i can do direct care Um, i know it's in my heart and it's my passion but i wasn't in the right space to be able to provide that care for the people that i was working with Mm -hmm. So that is actually when I decided to go move into the supervisor role, mm-hmm. um, and oversee the, the clinical staff that works with the clients directly. And so for me, that was that was a big deal. And and right now I'm OK. You know, I'm OK working in the capacity that I am. And yeah. I feel like I can, you know, give back with my experience and my own, um, you know, uh, you know, life uh, struggles and um, where where I am today specifically because of, um, you know, the things that I've been through mm-hmm. and, and help support those staff to really empower them to know, hey, if you need to take a step back, it's okay. Yeah. And we'll get through this together, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it, it actually... Um, you know, is very, very forefront in my mind
0: mm-hmm. when, when working with the staff that I work with. And it's nice that you have a staff and a company that you work for that understands that to the fullest. There wasn't any pushback on making changes or needing time. You felt very supported. Um, and then being able to, to make a, a real, you know, decision for yourself. I mean, that's huge, especially with you know, working in, in jobs that, you know, you feel like you're afraid to make different moves because it might affect other things. And we just kind of eggshell walk. And, and so it can be very intimidating. And so kudos to you for acknowledging that and seeing that. Um, and then thank you know, the company you work for to allowing you to, to be in a better space and to move on with your career at your pace when it was right. I will never forget when you had called me, um, I had no idea what to expect, but I heard the pain inside of you. And that and that broke my heart because we, we've we grown up together. We've had a lot of, you know, great times. We've raised our kids, like we go way back and to have another connection on such a tragedy, um, it was hard. Um, it was so hard to hear that pain and kind of go through that for myself because um, it's never easy and we know that there's, there's no um, there's no closure, right? We, we feel like it's gonna be a forever open wound. And you know, the fact that you are in mental health, do you ever feel like you missed something or I mean, I mean, I, some people feel the guilt and I did for a while because I'm like, I just saw you the night before. Like how what did I miss? right? And so for a long time, I felt like I, I didn't do my job. I didn't. I didn't see something, and and I had to kind of play old tapes. And so, how do you work through that? You know, being in the field that you're in, right? How do you do that? Yeah, I know. It's it's a god awful feeling. Like I couldn't when you when you called me, I was just like, no, not you. You know, because you're so dedicated and you're so on it with your clients. And this just goes to show nobody's exempt um, from this type of pain and loss. Um, but we can't take on that responsibility. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The, that
1: you nailed it there, you know, it, I didn't understand that when it first happened, of course, you know, my dad was, a. you know, as you know, he was really the driving factor that, uh, you know, pushed me to want to even embark on a career in mental health and addiction based services because he had struggled since, you know, I was little yeah little girl all of all of my life all of my life and um you know he never stopped struggling and it was just one of those things that um he he had you know uh basically a a schizophrenia diagnosis and also um substance use so he he dabbled with drugs
0: and alcohol for years and that's usually what we
1: see a lot of the times um and these generational areas where people who, um, you know, have um, a psychosis diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, depression, uh, bipolar, um, you know, we see a lot of substance use and abuse within that because um, it's, it's a lot easier to self medicate yeah. than it is to really, you know,
0: Go address through. the mm-hmm. problem head on. Right? Yeah.
1: And so he, he just really struggled for so many years. And I just, he finally got out of the prison system yeah. in California and um, had been on parole there for 12 years. Wow. In 2019. And I, uh, my grandmother, his mom pushed, pushed him to, come to Montana. And so I embraced him and wanted to wrap around supports mm-hmm. because I knew how to do that. Right. 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 right? So yeah, why couldn't I do? That?
0: Right, I, I can help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Why? Why can't I? And so you know, it really is a testament that you know, regardless of who you are or what position you're in, you know, you could be a doctor even, and you know, we really are only able to help as much as people will let us. Yes. And aren't here or aren't able to push people to make decisions for themselves. They have to make those decisions yeah. and we have to be there to support them and be next to them. And I was only able to do so much, yeah. um, you know, with him because he, he didn't want to help himself. Right. And that was where he was at. He, he felt like his life would be easier if it was just ended and, and not anymore. And so, For me, it was, it was very hard to overcome those feelings of, of guilt Mm -hmm. and let down and shame behind, you know, me not being able to be this professional helper.
0: Right. You don't have a magic wand. So, you know, it was, it was a very, very hard
1: time. And I was very fortunate to have a great group of supports here to wrap around me Mm
0: -hmm. specifically.
1: Yeah. Um. But, you know, I think it is something that I still struggle with.
0: You of know, course.
1: Today. I mean, I, and that I probably will carry with me. But I, I get peace in knowing that, um, you know, he's, he's in a better place. Yeah. And that he, um, you know, ultimately chose this for himself. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, when we talk about suicide prevention and education and all these areas, um, we fail to address that this is, this is, People's lives, and they get they get to make that choice. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, we can just sit back and try to do and prevent and educate as much as we can. But it's ultimately their choice, mm-hmm. and, and really nothing is going to stop them, right? Um, if that is their intent and plan, um, and we just unfortunately have to to be there and support as much as we can. But it's it's ultimately
0: their choice, right? Yeah. I've seen that a lot when I, you know, as I'm still facilitating now, but when you get these groups and you hear these different stories, I mean, there's, there's all types of scenarios and, and positions that have happened. The ultimate thing happens, right? We know suicide is the ultimate thing. Um, but to hear some of the, the stories that lead up to that, you know, whether it be multiple times of trying to commit if they want to, they will, and there would be nothing you could do. They're gonna just find an opportunity when it's clear, the coast is clear, and that's just what they're going to do. Um, there's no stopping that. And like you said, you nailed it when you said, you know, we just gotta be supportive um, in their struggles and in their 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 space, um, and and hope. And pray that they don't make that decision because, of course, we love them and we want them here. Um, I've recognized also that it's never just like I lost my job, suicide. I've said this before, it's not drastic. There is an, an internal mess that is rupturing like a volcano. And, you know, again, if they're not willing to discuss it and talk about it, if they're not willing to get help, if they're not willing to um, step back and reflect and make positive changes in their life, uh, choose different support groups, there's so many things that can be done, but if they choose to do none of that, it's like shaking up a pop can and opening it up. You're going to break, you're going to go there. Um, So yes, just being very mindful of that. And and I struggled with that for a while. I don't anymore. because you're right, like this was a choice and it's unfortunate that it led to that. Um, My family still hurts and will continue to hurt for the rest of our lives because of that choice. So being mindful that, I mean, and this can kind of be off record. So again, this just shows in just everyday life how we should treat people because you just don't know how close somebody is to an edge emotionally and mentally. I think just doing our part and showing support, um, because again, it, it's it's their choice and we just need to be the loving people. I, I, I always speak, you know, if we don't speak love, it dies. And I just can't pledge that enough because people are hurting and um, choices are being made that will impact forever. It's that, that quote, um, uh, temporary feelings, the, you know, permanent decision or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's kind of in that realm. And it's very true, you know? So just be mindful of how we treat one another, you know? And I think yeah. it goes a long way, but um, yeah, with that. So now that we've got a couple years and you're feeling pretty good and, and life has changed, you know, what are your goals with, you know, just moving forward and you got going on like in, in the victories of everything?
1: Yeah, thanks. you know i think um i really believe in our community mental health center and and where we're going we just got a four million dollar grant from SAMHSA.
0: Woohoo, uh, that's good
1: last, we're in our first year of a four-year grant cycle with them um, to integrate primary care services into our behavioral health services mm-hmm. and so that's really exciting and i'm, I'm a big participant of that um groundbreaking
0: care that we're,
1: we're providing for clients um, so I think I'll, I'll try to stick it out a little bit longer but I always said you know by the time I'm 50 I'm doing private practice
0: and I okay. want to
1: be somewhere warm you know?
0: <laughs> well here's not the place <laughs> you know that I, I mean I've been traveling quite a bit yeah. trying to find my niche in the world of where I want to rest and be yeah. um, but
1: Definitely somewhere warm and still providing care, um, you know, for clients. I've, I've always been drawn to the veteran population.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh,
1: my husband's a veteran. Yep. I started my undergraduate when I, I have Portland Roots.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: um, I went to Portland State University, and my, my undergraduate there, and um, I was the first one in the social work program there that got to do their
0: um, internship at the VA Medical Center. Oh, beautiful! Um, their health department.
1: So that was kind of my like groundbreaking um, exposure, and I, it's never left me. Mm-hmm. I have
0: kind
1: of Big passion for for serving uh, military families and veterans specifically, and so I don't know, somewhere like Key West hey. on a, a base. I mean, y-
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? No, somewhere warm, and I could totally see you. You know, running your own ship because you just have it in you and you always have inspired me to just, you know, do the work and to be um, intentional. And so, is that how you met your hubby? No. Okay. So, but it just kind of ironic how that kind of brought back full circle, right? You found love in that spot. Yeah. So, it's
1: definitely, it's definitely been, um, you know, a ride with him because you know as we know veterans tend to
0: they're built different they're, they're built, built different, different. yeah they are built they're built different
1: also, um, you know that camaraderie they they like to be around other veterans and Yeah, supportive in that aspect right and so we've done a lot of grassroots stuff here in montana working with wilderness for warriors nice. for some vets and you know, those kinds of different projects, which has been really exciting. But um yeah, I mean it's it doesn't really matter, I think, the population that we as as counselors or therapists, you know, can serve. It's just if your your intentions are, are there. Right. Your know, work is, you know, one where we can come full front be non judgmental, get rid of all biases mm-hmm. that we might, you know, have through that before we're able to be with and present with the client I think that you know you've really met a good good counselor
0: right yeah most definitely I mean there and and again you might go through like a few of them to find the one right and that's part of the process as well and And I think that can be very
1: and you don't like them or you don't buy
0: right it's okay move on Yeah, you want somebody who's going to have your back and to understand you fully so you can get the treatment, so you can get to where you wanna be. And I think that even that's very difficult because as we're talking about how men don't really share certain things, they might have like one counseling encounter and they're like, oh, not for me it's not gonna work because they, they just can't see it all the way through, right? Um, but you have to encourage and to say stay on the course because if this person doesn't work out, that per something will. And you will find that person who will be completely built for what you have going on and for who's gonna be able to, like you said, non-biased, non-judgmental, really be an advocate. Um, in your situation. So guys, we gotta really understand that when you're going into any type of therapy and and heading in that direction, first of all, notice that you might need it and that's totally okay. The saying it's okay to not be okay. You know, getting yourself the first step, making that connection, finding a counselor and, and being patient with the process, allowing you to meet people where you are. If it doesn't work with one person, keep trying, you will find somebody who will really, you know, get you in a good space and to really help you through your things. And it's just, it's the course, it's just, it's time. And um, stick with it, stay committed to it because it's ultimately you, it's your healthcare, it's, you know, your self-love, you know, like you said, Jill, earlier, it's like you see all these Instagram fitness models, but we don't see inside these brains. We don't see what people are really, digging into. And so, um, as much as you want to physically look good on the outside, there is always work to do on the inside, but just stay on the course of making that commitment for yourself. It's very important. So yeah, I hope the guys that are listening will take the initiative because I was also seeing recently on Instagram that, um, you know, guys aren't even going to the doctors regularly, like physicals, and then you're finding out things too late. And, um, so what would be kind of like, maybe a, not so much the mental, you know, therapy of that, but what would you even suggest on just physical, like staying um, healthy in general? Right. And that's,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know how many men that I know, they won't go to the doctors unless their wives or girlfriends make
0: them. Yeah. An
1: appointment, schedule it, say, this is to show up at this time and this is yeah, You know, and that's, that is something that, um, you know, we, we as a society need to do better at, is yeah. taking those pressures off of men, um, to understand that their bodies and their mental health wellness is just as important as anybody else's.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, really,
1: you know, understanding that it's a form of self-love Yeah, self-care, you know, and, you know, I will say too. There's always that caveat of like, I can't, ex- I can't afford to go to the doctor. I
0: can't afford to go see a right. counselor. You know, but let me tell you, there is so
1: many different programs that are available and it just takes one question. Yeah. Um, really. And it's like, do you have a sliding fee scale?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, do you have, um, an, if I don't have health insurance, there a different form of method of payment that I can to get access to these services
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'll tell you what most every single clinic these days in our society will have some form of reduced payment mm-hmm. option that is is um uh available yeah and and so that that tends to be a barrier to mm-hmm. you know just that access to the health insurance and and coverage that is often needed mm-hmm. and so you know I think it's it's up to us to do our due diligence to inform and educate about different clinics and areas that you know may offer that mm-hmm. um, service or support or to be able to understand how to sit down and help someone fill out a medicaid
0: application yeah you know that's a real struggle i've heard that in a lot of just different talks i've had different podcasts um where we see men struggling on that level they don't feel like they can afford it um They may feel like even like in custody cases or court cases. I mean, those papers are so ridiculous. It's not black and white. There's so much in these things that are redundant. It's really the same question, but just asked a little differently. And it's so, you know, hectic. And in someone's mind who isn't really geared to work in hectic situations, it can be, um almost like I don't want to do this. I'm going to give up. This is too much. So now you got men who are not showing up for appointments, you got men who are not showing up for court, you got men who are not showing up for custody battles all because of the misunderstanding of how we can really help support. We can ask for sliding scale, we can ask somebody to help you with paperwork. If you ask, I mean it's like closed mouths don't get fed, so they have to be able to ask for that so then we can be the help. Um, you know, um, if somebody wasn't in a relationship, they don't have a wife, they don't have a girlfriend, they don't have maybe that woman support. I think it's huge to have women support. I mean, I have a son, you have sons. Um, so when you're looking at kind of like the dynamic of somebody didn't have somebody, um, like us, what would you recommend them to do? Because maybe they don't have those resources, you know. I mean, we just I guess we just have to kind of pull our, that's where the community needs to step up, and this is why we're having this conversation, right? This is why two women are having this acknowledgement of what men can do. We're giving options, but we're also saying, hey, we are here to walk through the journey. Ask, and you shall, you know, hopefully get some help. So would that kind of be a good?
1: Yeah. I mean, anybody you can trust. Yeah. To talk to or talk with. And and sometimes people don't have anybody.
0: Yeah.
1: But you know, just confiding in someone the need, right? Or the the idea that maybe this is something that I need access to or support with. And then confiding in that person that, that you trust mm-hmm. and can rely on to help navigate maybe the systems. Because the systems are the biggest barrier. Yeah. Um and those unfortunately change right um, but we can change the way that we're talking to
0: people yeah and that we're being
1: available and that we're being open to listen to people's struggles and help support them with next steps yeah that we may know right how to access that they might not know correct and so i think really it's just it's just about being open and with who you can share that vulnerability with mm-hmm. and feel comfortable and confident
0: yeah, there's a few things that people, I think we all, women and men, um, we can all say that there's a there's three common denominators of which we all need. We all have the need to be heard. We all have the need to be respected, and we all have the need to be loved. And those are just key values that if we practice and we commit to, I think this world would be a lot better in self-advocating and just really supporting one another. Um, I'm just blessed to have so many good people in my corner as I go through things myself and have the support that I've had through you know, my situations. And so that's why it was, it was very important for me to find a way to give back to um, such a devastating part of my life um, so nobody else felt that way. I can say that I did what I could do and I took it a step further, and I want to help as many men feel empowered and self-advocating, um, not just looking good and feeling good, but to really be the best you can be. Yeah. Absolutely. I am so proud of you. Oh, and thanks. We'll
1: never forget when you had talked to me about this
0: idea. I know, right? And,
1: you know, like this just <laughs> big idea, right? The yeah. passion behind it. Big idea. I'm jumping in. I'm, you know, sink or swim right now. Yeah. <laughs> you were just going to jump in.
0: Yeah. And,
1: I mean, honestly, you inspire me.
0: Uh-oh. And the
1: motivation and the passion and the dedication that you have to this mission that that you are, you know, being present for and with these these men in your community. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things as, you know, a woman... You know, we have this stigma around these stereotypes like, why does this woman want to help?
0: Yeah, these men? yeah, you
1: know, we need to break those barriers, talk about these things, yeah, you know, really normalize that it's okay as women to support
0: men, yeah,
1: you know, they carry burdens and pressures that we need to assist with,
0: yeah, and be there. The help, just, right? Yeah, I'm just so proud of you. Thank in what you. You're doing. I will talk with you and support you in whatever I need to, because I I believe in this. And, and, you know, I really want to, you
1: know, offer just that normalization that, like I say, you know, our mental health is just as important as our medical and our physical health. You know, we go to the doctor for checkups, we go to the dentist for checkups, but we don't do a very good job of of our mental health and checking in with a professional yeah and there's so many you know the pandemic really opened up the opportunity to you know make counseling a little less you know confrontational yeah you know i go and sit in you know this shrink so to say yeah office for an hour they've got a notepad you know we all watch movies and we have these ideas but you know the the internet is really booming right now with all these different um online texting mm-hmm. um, all these opportunities to really just be present and support clients with where they're at and what they need so
0: yeah it's really funny expect. you say that because it's almost like you have no excuse oh i can't make my appointment no it's fine we got a zoom link just tap into your email you know what i mean? like, you it, it's harder to back out of things and it and I think that's great though because it keeps us accountable. It it keeps us going because having these options, um, if somebody couldn't make it, you know, or they it's like, no, we can do a zoom or we can do all these different things. So it does kind of like you said, break that down a little bit so it becomes easier to still support you. There's no backing out, so
1: yes, easier yep. access. Yeah, right? you know, easier access for people means that they might show up Yeah, and they might engage in, in work. and if you don't like someone that you meet with the first time, don't give up.
0: Yeah. Keep I, going. I, I encourage and support anybody's who's listening tonight just yeah. to,
1: you know, put their mental health first. And if you feel like you need that extra support that maybe you're not getting from your family or friends, or just need to work with a professional to maybe work through some childhood things, mm-hmm. or some traumatic events in your life to move forward for yourself, because it really is self-love and care, mm-hmm. you know, get access, reach out, ask for, for numbers, support, help in your current area. Um, you know, we know that um, uh, pretty soon, I think this, I think maybe this July, we're going to have our, our national um, suicide prevention hotline mm. go live with the nine eight eight information, so that that is really um, easier access to, mm. right? Like we've always had to memorize like this one eight hundred number, yeah. Lifeline, right? Um, First suicide, um, you know, hotline, and now we will have a national standard number of nine eight eight that we'll be able to, uh, you know, dial in and get those same uh, people on the line to, to yeah. help. There's
0: that need. Yeah, and I'm so glad to hear that because I I start to feel like when I hear stuff like that, what you know, um, lines for life is doing, what you know, you guys are opening up, and obviously other people probably around the country, really deciding to give this a full, like means, um, is super impactful because we want to see obviously the reduce rate of suicide in general. Um, I've had people call me recently who have lost people. So we know that it's still there. Again, it is a choice, but when you have an abundance of access, um, support and resources, we're doing the the work and um, people will show up. And um, I just feel like you can't have enough you know, um, and so I, I built these packets to send in to, you know, different institutions that just allowed people in my community, whether it be um, health care, counseling, recovery, housing, you know, all these just really great resources to packet them because one person may not know all of that. Right, And the only way we're gonna know what's out there is if we share as leaders and people who are doing the work to share what we got going on, but then to also make it available to those who need it. And so providing these packets for me were were was a kind of a great kind of touch because it allowed me to say, you may not need everything in here, but here's a starting point. And we're on your, we're on your journey with you. And they have people's names and contacts that we can then kind of vessel and um i'm just really excited to see the work you know the years uh, before us to continue in growth and um yeah making the impact that we want to make so i really appreciate you coming on tonight it's been such a long time since i got to see your beautiful face miss you and the family and um definitely as things you know we'll we'll put your information up so people can contact look at different things as well you mentioned the hotline you know easy access number so just putting that available too so when that does open up they have another resource and access so everybody thank you so much for tuning in to elevate him that is a wrap until next time thank you hey what's up it's nicole brewster also known as coco Thank you for tapping into the Elevate Him podcast. Until next time.